Hi, I'm Nina Zimmerman, and welcome to Nurse, Nurse Practitioners Changing Practice. Hi, I'm, I'm Carol. <laughs> Hi, Carol. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm excited about this topic that we're going to talk about tonight. I am too. So tonight we want to start talking about uh, negotiating your first contract as a new NP, questions to ask, um, legal issues. So this is kind of going to be a new couple um, um, episode series, basically, around contract negotiation and legal issues. So I first wanted to tell everyone that I believe the best person and reference and an author of a lot of these issues, negotiating contracts, questions to ask, legal issues, is Carolyn Bupert. It's B as in boy, Bupert. She is a nurse practitioner and a lawyer. And she's been doing this for over 30 years. So actually, um, where Carol and I teach, one of the courses that we have taught in the past, I haven't taught it in a while, we actually use, we used to use one of her textbooks that she created for nurse practitioners. I used to use it in another class, but I don't teach that anymore in the role of the nurse practitioner. So those of you listening, you may be using her textbook or uh, seeing articles in your role class or legal issues or ethics, that sort of thing. So what I wanted to talk with Carol about tonight uh, is um, some questions that you would ask a prospective employer. And we really want to target this discussion on our, our uh, NP students getting ready or thinking about their first contract. Because I don't know about you, Carol, that was really scary for me. It that is. First, it, you know, you're first just so career. glad to get a job. You're just so right. glad to get a contract. You don't really know uh, even the ins and outs of, you know, what do they mean about um, a clause? Um, like, you know, if you leave that place, um, you know, yes. where you can work beyond that. Yes. A non-compete clause. Non-competes yes. or, you know, how many months do you need to give? I remember one contract I had to give three months notice. Yes. And you have to stop and think about, you know, you know, Two weeks might be too little, but three months is a three long, months is a long time. time. Right. So you know, yeah, there's a lot of things about call. You know, you don't really know about call, right. or if right. you have to work a weekend, does that mean you get no other days off? Right. So, so lots of things to think about. You know, a lot you of things to think do. about. Yeah, I'm basing this discussion on kind of an old publication by Carolyn. Carolyn wrote this article in the Journal of Nurse Practitioners, by the way, students and nurse practitioners listening, you aren't a member of the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners. You really should think about it because with that membership, a plug for the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners, and maybe we could put that link, Carol, on our site. Yeah, I think um, it is. I think, I think it already is too. And I think we've got a discount code up there we, too. Oh, we do. We do. Yeah. Now, I have to say, everybody who's listening, Carol's much more tech savvy. She just brings me along for the ride. So thanks, Carol. So in this Journal of Nurse Practitioner, uh, back in 2014, January of 2014, uh, Carolyn Bupert wrote this article called 20 Questions to Ask a Prospective Employer. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what's in that article. So, you know, credit to her. And then Carol and I, I know we have, I, I know I have a couple more questions that I would ask. Um, and again, we will link 
uh, Carolyn's well, we're put um, it in the website and on, on our website, which is yes, we're going to link Carolyn's website practice, right? Yes. And under the toolbox, we'll have a link to Carolyn Buford's website so yes. that you can go there and see. She has a great video to watch that yes. you can listen all about and then, you know, what what she has to offer. Right. Now, this article is not on her website, but I found it in our in our university library. Um, and another plug for her, and really, uh, Carol, and I, Carol and I are hoping she will come as a guest, maybe. Um, she is, it uh, looks like from her website, she's retiring at the end of 2022 as a, a practicing lawyer. Um, she will be missed because I know she helps a lot of nurse practitioners in legal cases, and she read hundreds of NP contracts, but she also has a YouTube, uh, YouTube channel. So- mm -hmm. Um, so based on her article that I read that I'm going to talk about with Carol, here's some of the questions that I think are important. And then I want to talk about a couple additional questions based on my experience. And I know Carol's going to have some additional too. We both have, have um, negotiated several NP contracts. I know Carol probably longer than I have. I've been a nurse, nurse practitioner for over 15 years and I've been at, um, at least, I've been, uh, this is probably my, my fifth practice. Um, and I know Carol has uh, negotiated. Yeah, I think I've yeah, definitely had at least uh, four or five contracts yes. negotiated. Yes. So this discussion is about questions to ask your employer usually comes up in your first interview. OK, so new NPs, you got to be prepared. You don't want to just get an interview and go there and hear what they have to say. You need to be prepared to ask questions. But the big key is you need to listen, listen to what they need, right? So mm -hmm. one of the questions in this article is really important. And that is, why are you interested in hiring a nurse practitioner? Is this their first nurse practitioner? Because I've been in my first contract, which in my first which was very stressful um, and didn't go well. Um, that they'd never had a nurse practitioner before. They didn't really know what to do with me, right? And I was a mm -hmm. brand new nurse practitioner. So why do they want to hire a nurse practitioner? Do they want you to see just like same day acute care visits and primary care? Do they want you to establish your own panel of patients if you have independent practice in a state where you can have independent practice? Is it a surgery practice where they want you to do the pre-op visits and the post-op visits? So the surgeon- Yeah, lots of things to think about. Procedures, yeah. Um, the, that's just a couple of examples, right? So it's important to know why does this practice want to hire a nurse practitioner? What is their rationale? What, is, what do they want from you? All right? And um, at the, when they tell you that, you need to, I mean, they're going to ask you, why are you interviewing with us, right? Yeah, are right. you wanting just to gain experience because you're new? Or are you wanting to develop a special expertise? Like maybe you want to do practice and gain expertise in, in, in gastroenterology or cardiology or pain specialty. Um, but you want to know why. And then um, some other questions that I thought was really important is, um, do you want um, do you want to pay a salary 
Um, hourly rate, what kind of pay, obviously, would be a good question. Right. And well, what's their bonus structure really? Yes. Do they have a productivity? Do you uh, even understand that bonus structure? Do you know what RVUs are? are right. you know, how are they? How are they? There are several models, but I think now the RVU model is the most common. Right. Right. Absolutely. So one of my practices, um, I had a, a, a very nice salary. I had three weeks of vacation um, and I was bonused based on my productivity. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. The kicker, the, the, um, and so that was great. It was a very, I, I, you know, I thought it was a very fair salary for what I did. And I saw patients five days a week. Um, one of the afternoons I um, finished at like two. Yeah. And usually I, you get a half a day. To yeah. Usually. Yeah. So, you know, if you're an office, you're um, clear, um, um, you know, my experience is primary care. So if you are in a primary care practice, usually you can negotiate one of those days as a half day to, to do, you know, finish up charting calls and that sort of thing. Maybe, maybe not. Just depends on the practice, right? Um, right. Urgent care, you might be just doing 12 hour shifts. Hospitalist, 12 hour, you know, 12 hour shifts, 12 days on, 12, day, 12 days off. You don't, you know, whatever. But it's really important to know about, um, first of all, the hours. So something um, Carolyn talks about, Carolyn Buper talks about in some of her videos is if you're the type of person that wants to work eight to four, Monday through Friday, you know, you have to be clear about that. If they're wanting somebody that says, well, you know, our last patient's scheduled at four, but you may not get out of here till six. Right, right. You know, um, I mean that, you know, you need to be clear about that. What, you know, what, um, what are the hours? The other big issue is call right? Call so is huge. It's really, really huge, especially like one of my first jobs. I didn't realize that they say, oh, you're going to work every third weekend yep. and you all have call once a week. Mm -hmm. So what I didn't realize that that meant was that I would work five days as a regular Monday through Friday, right? Then work my weekend. That's two more and then work another five. Right. And that two of those days, I would be required to work all day, take call all night, and work the whole next day. And if you know what call is like, depending on your practice, some you, you hardly get any calls. This particular practice, we were up all night. I mean, yes. you would get 30 to 40 calls at night. Yes. So there's no way you would be able to sleep through that. So I learned how you can work on 36 hours and, and you still got another nine more days to go. Right. So for me, for me, um, uh, I, um, I was asked to do call and I told them I would trial it. So I was on call every sixth weekend, but I covered like eight physicians and 10 nurse practitioners. Okay. Same thing that Carol's saying. The minute I was on call at 5 p.m. on Friday until 8 a.m. on Monday, I had anywhere in a 24-hour period was usually 30 to 40 calls. So and that's the part that you need to figure out. Is you have to figure that out. Not every practice, another practice I worked at, uh, we were on call for a whole week at a time. Every physician or provider took a week. And so like every fifth or sixth week, we it was our turn. But there you barely got any calls. I mean, you might have four calls for the entire week. So it wasn't, um, 
you know, so that's something that you just need to figure out. And then yeah. as a new NP, you also have to ask yourself, how comfortable do I feel with being on call? Yes. Do I feel like I'm at the point where I, you know, I'm going to be able to, you know, do the on call without feeling like at three in the morning, I need to reach out to my provider. That's right. And, and as a new nurse practitioner, you know, you may not want to do call. You may want experience first, which I would highly advise you to do no matter what the practice to get used to the practice. But you also, in my opinion, even if you have a clouding practice or you don't, you need to be able to reach somebody if you need to. Right. So right. if you're on call and something happens and you're like, I don't know which way to go. Um, or, you know, you need to be able to contact, um, you know, a, um, another provider in that practice so you can, you know, possibly get questions answered. After a while, you'll be, I mean, you'll just, it'll be fine. But the other, the other caveat to that is this practice that I, one of the practices I did call, they pay, you know, they're like, oh, we'll pay you $250. And, and I tried it. And then I said, you're giving me the option. And I, uh, I, you know, if you're giving me the option, I would rather not to call. It's, it's not worth, you know, my time. It's not worth the money. And, yeah. and you know, it, you know, for the salary. Okay. Um, and so I didn't, so I, you know, or I just covered, sometimes I just covered my doc during the week or something like that. So the point is you want to make sure that their expectation is clear about that and your expectations. Well, and another thing you have to consider, uh, this mainly applies to acute care nurse practitioners, yes. but in acute care, if you're on call at night, yes, you're going to get calls for narcotics. Yes. Morphine, Dilaudid. Okay. You're going to get calls for those. They're going to be saying, Hey, the patient's pain is not controlled. And if you're not in a state that allows you to be able to do uh, schedule twos, you know, morphine, Dilaudid, and that kind of thing, you technically need to call your provider and have them give you a nurse's order, right. okay? And at three in the morning, you might not feel comfortable calling your provider. So your provider might say to you, you know, I'll agree with whatever you think you should do. And then you're putting yourself in one heck of a liability situation. So you have to be, um, you know, you really have to think about what am I agreeing to? Are they really going to be available if I need to call them in the middle of the night? And, yes. and everybody's okay with that. Yes. Okay. So we really think that's important. Now, obviously, I'm sure the new nurse practitioners or anybody listening to this, is they're thinking, well, pay. Okay, so salary. Salary is going to be very important. But what I like to tell my students is, yes, you should have a salary that's, you know, uh, market value of a new nurse practitioner where you live. In St. Louis, a starting nurse practitioner, at least in primary care, is around 80000 and well, it's a little more now almost. I think it's probably okay. closer to 90, but yeah, okay. you're somewhere okay. in the 80 to 90 range. Yeah, yeah. Um, some students that I've talked to and things that I've seen posted in my system are saying 80s, okay? So that's primary care. Specialty, maybe more than that. So 80 to, you know, 110 for that first job in general, in general, mm -hmm. is probably what your base salary is going to be. Where, depending on where you live and depending on the press, it may be more if you are getting uh, bonus for productivity or based on, you know, 
billing or whatever. So the other thing with bonus, now that you mentioned bonus, yes, bonus is taxed at a 40% rate. Yep. So nobody realizes that it sounds like it's really great, but then you figure, oh, okay, if I got $5,000 bonus, really, you're only going to take home 60% of that. 60% of it. That's right. You'll take home 3,000, not five. Right, right. So um, remember, which is good at the end of the year for taxes, but it's not what you think it is. So you know, you're you going to end is. up having less. Right. So make sure you have to, you have to find out if it's, you know, on a bonus structure or add it differently to your salary. Okay. So salary, um, you know, they may ask you what they, you think is a reasonable salary, but, but silent silence is golden when you're negotiating, right? Mm-hmm may offer you a number first, which is very helpful because then you know what, what they're thinking. And if you don't, that's a reasonable salary based on maybe somebody's people are listening who have experience. You can say that may not, that's not going to work for me, but you don't want to be, you know, insult. You don't want to say I'm insulted or just be, you know, this is negotiation. It's not personal. Remember Mm -hmm. that. It's not personal. And don't be afraid to ask based on your experience and based on on the market value in your area to ask what you think is reasonable. But you also don't want to be unreasonable. Right. Right. Because as a new NP, you do have to take into consideration there is going to be time. You are not ready to go in and take a full day's patience. Right. Okay. so that leads to my next question. You need to talk to this employer no matter if you are a new NP or an experienced NP, about what their expectation is for your patient load at the when you start and maybe in three to six months. In other words, are you supposed to build up this practice for new patients? And what does your day look like? Is your day, they want you to see people every 20 minutes, no matter what, or you get 30 minutes for a new patient and a follow-up, you know, do you have slots available for same day visits? Can you what? structure your, your day? Can you structure the, you I, might want to put your new patients at right. the end of the day so that right. if you do run over, you're not going to be, you know, making the whole day. You know, so if you have that flexibility, that does help. The flexibility is very important, but you may or may not have that. So what happened in, uh, I don't, I, I like, I want to hear from Carol, but for me, one of the, one of, um, when I learned from negotiating a couple contracts, when I negotiated um, another contract, I said, um, I want to know what your expectations are for my, um, how many patients you would like me to see a day and per week, you know, at the beginning, you know, in three months, because if, if they say like, there's some descriptions of jobs that I've read, you know, they expect you to see, you know, 20 people a day. Well, I mean, that's a lot of patients right off the bat, right? It depends on the type of patient you're seeing. It depends on the type. I agree. Urgent care, you might be able to, you're seeing one problem. I agree. Cut and dry kind of thing. You might be able to do that. But if you've got people that are older, that have multiple comorbidities and they have a medication list, they can't even remember. Right. Um, it's going to take much more time. It's going to take more time. Those type of patients. Are they all mixed? You know, right. do you have a mixture of patients? So you have to look at your patient population and, you know, what, what kind of visits you're going to be doing. And you need to know that. You need to find out what, t- you know, um, uh, another question that it's not in her article, but I think is important that I, I did in almost all my practices. Could you shadow 
could you shadow a nurse practitioner or a physician or whatever, whatever providers you're working with for a day to see how that clinic works? Okay. Um, something I've added to my list of questions is what kind of support do I have as a provider? Does an MA, this is primary care I'm speaking yeah, about. Absolutely. Do I have an MA that helps me, you know, that's going to room my patients? Right. Because I assumed that in my first contract and guess what? I didn't have an MA. Well, you're a nurse. Can't you just, yeah, can't yeah, you yeah. just have that patient come in and do everything? Well, I can, but you're, I'm an, I mean, you're going to pay me as an advanced practice nurse to spend time to room Then I'm, then unfortunately, you're I'm not going to be able to see 20 patients. Today. You know, if that's your expectation, that's going to take me an extra 15 minutes with every one of my patients. Right. So that, that sounds silly, but you never want to assume you're a provider and you're going to have the same support as all the providers that are in that clinic. Maybe they think one of my practices said, well, when you build up your practice, we'll, we'll have an MA work with you. No, I mean, that wasn't acceptable for me. And so, uh, you know, but I had to find, I, I actually negotiated that and talked about it in my interview. Right. So right. that sounds silly, but like just, what is my think about those things? You know, what about your licenses? A DEA yeah. costs seven hundred and fifty dollars. It's right. good for I think four years, but right. it's still seven. It might be three. I think it is three, but it's still seven hundred and fifty dollars. What about uh, CEUs? What if you have? You know, you're required to keep your license up right. to have so many CEUs. If you attend a conference, are they going to give you money for that? Do you have and, any professional development support? Licensure support. What about liability insurance? Are they going to pay for your liability insurance? Do they have a, are they going to pay for a tail coverage from your last practice? I mean, though, or do they reimburse you? All those are important questions. Getting back to the support staff. This is the other thing that I found out is not, not I, in one of my practices, I not only didn't have an MA, I was expected to do all my patient calls. Okay? Oh, wow. Everything. So if I wanted somebody to call a patient as a follow-up because they had pneumonia and I wanted somebody to check on them in 24 hours, I did it. I had to do it. I had to call about all my labs. I had to send letters to all my patients. I mean, I had no help with any of that, which increased my time. Right. Tremendously. You know, right. Okay. So, so you have to ask specifically what are my, what are your expectations of me as, as a provider, you know, and the support staff, what am I going to be reimbursed for? Do I get, you know, do I, do you have professional development? Um, you know, so all that's part of your package, right? Um, just like CEUs, um, vacation, how, do I have to request vacation? How much in advance do I request vacation? Or do I just schedule myself off? Um, I'm right now I'm in a, um, a, a practice one day a week in a factory. And so I work with an MA and I run that clinic how I want to run it. And I schedule myself how I want to schedule it. Uh, because we don't, um, it's not necessarily, it, it, they're not billable services. It's a contracted service. That's a very different situation. Mm -hmm. and I can just schedule myself off, you know, two weeks ahead of time. That's very different than when you work, you know, in a practice where um, no matter what, even if you don't have anybody in your schedule, they want you to be there. So 
Those are really important questions that you have to tease out. And you find out a lot when you shadow somebody for a day. If you can shadow somebody for a day, you're going to see a lot. And you're going to see how well you're going to be able to interact with that provider. Right. You know, right. how approachable are they? How do they, how do they like to teach? Um, and because in that very beginning first job, you're going to feel unsure of yourself and you're going to want to make sure that that provider that you're with likes teaching and doesn't expect you to try to figure everything out on your own. Yes. Yes. Um, the last thing that I wanted to mention, and you alluded to that, and it's not in this article, but I really think you, you all would benefit from seeing that article that we'll put on the website, um, is you need to talk to the physician. You need to interview with the physician or providers you're going to work with, whether you have a collaborative practice agreement or not. In other words, in other words, you need to know how, what's the philosophy of that practice as far as treatment and follow-up and all of those things. You need to know that because it may or may not match how you want to practice, right? Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I always, now in Missouri, you have to have a collaborative practice agreement. So, you know, that's a given of really understanding and working with that collaborative physician because you have to have you have to be in so many miles and you have to have so many charts reviewed and all that kind of, you are given, you are given authority to, to prescribe. I mean, it's just a very different relationship in a restrictive authority state, but I felt it was important based on experience to really get to know that physician with an interview and with shadowing to understand how they practice. Right. right because so, yeah. Tell them about the practice you had that, it just didn't work out. No, I mean, there's, there's, there's practices where if, you know, you might, the provider that you might be with might be wonderful, but your personalities have to mesh. And if they don't mesh, um, you're just not going to, you're not going to, you know, feel comfortable asking questions. Uh, sometimes the providers just, they think, oh, you really don't need the support. So then you might try getting in touch with them, texting them, calling them. If they're not in the same uh, building as you are, they're gone for the day. You know, you have to feel like they're going to answer you. Right. Um, right. When you reach out, they're going to be, be there for you. And if you don't have that kind of support, especially at the very beginning, yes. you're going to be frustrated and you could make a mistake that you, you're, you're not going to want to make. Right. Right. I, my provider, my physician is not in my clinic. He's within the boundaries of my collaborative practice agreement, but um, I, you know, I can message him in the chart system and I can call him. Yeah. And um, then if they answer you right away, I have other providers that I could right. call any, even when they're off and they're on vacation right. You right. Know, and you get them by, by, you know, you thought they were working and they aren't because right. you're not always in that same space to know. Um, and they'll, they'll answer your questions just as if they were, you know, oh, great to hear from you. And they're very, right. very helpful. So right. you'll, you have to figure out who it is that you work well with and get that trusting relationship. Yes. And if it doesn't feel right, oh, uh, trust your gut, like a nurse, your gut. you know, yes. I, I'd rather you go and look more for the right fit for you because you got to remember, they're not just interviewing you you're interviewing them to know if this is going to be a good um, relationship because you're going to be very close and having to make, you know, decisions together. And you want to make sure that the person you're doing that with you, you really feel comfortable with. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if you don't have a collaborative practice agreement, you want to be, you are going to collaborate with other providers, mm -hmm. right? In that practice, in that health system, you know, um, that, you know, that relationship, that collaborative relationship, whether it's contractual or professional is really important and really, you know, understanding the philosophy and culture of that practice, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that, you know, really asking questions and, and finding that out ahead of time. The, the last I mean, there was one, there was one time I was working with a person yeah, and I wasn't in the same office, but this particular provider wanted to separate the Medicaid patients to be seen in the morning from the private insured patients in the afternoon. Really? Now, luckily they did not, you know, administration didn't allow that. But they just, they wanted the people to be separated. And that was just their philosophy. Their philosophy was, you know, they didn't want those two different types of classes of people to mingle. That's and terrible. It was that's horrible. I know, it was horrible. And I mean, what if you find out that that's the practice that you're in? Yeah, no. And you didn't I would know never... that ahead of time. You wouldn't want to stay in it, you know? And right. so you want to make sure that you, you know, like I say, shadowing is so good. because Shadowing is shadowing, a great and And nobody minds. You can say, look, I'd love to join your practice, but hey, how about I come by and spend half a day here? Spend and just half a day. What I think before I sign this contract because what if you sign that contract and, and it says that you can't uh, get out of that contract without a three-month notice right and you have a non-compete which says you can't work with any other practice within 50 miles right so you know, then you're going to be really um, right in a position that's not right. so good the last thing i want to say is your contract may change i had a wonder i worked in a wonderful practice i love the, the, the providers i worked with and then the, the, the physician's organization's contracts changed. And what happened was um, it, it, the contract um, had a non-compete clause. And in Missouri, you can't even have your own panel of patients, but it had a non-compete clause. Um, when I left there, I had to give three months notice, which I knew, but I couldn't practice within like 38 miles. Well, in the, in the metro area where we live, that's crazy. That's yeah. For a that's year. Exactly for right. a year. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. You don't even think about those things because nobody tells you, but Carolyn Buford really is a great resource. Oh my gosh. A great resource. Check out um, her so YouTube site um, and her website and we'll have those resources for you. Maybe Carol, we in the future we could have her come. We'll see. Oh, that would be so wonderful because yes. I mean yes. she has done this her whole life. She's got a legal um mind to it as well as being a clinician. So yes, I look forward to when we can have her on. Yes. And uh, you can ask. We are working on getting live streaming. So we will yes. be able to live stream and you can ask questions right at the time of the interview. So we're working on trying to um make this a platform that is really interactive and engaging for you guys. So we appreciate your support. That's right. Check out our website, mpschangingpractice.com. Hope you're listening to our podcast. Check out our YouTube. Check out our Facebook. Until we meet again, friends, thank you so much. All right. Bye, guys.